Well, one of the incredible benefits of this past week of celebrating Pastor Kenny's life is the amazing men and women of God that have assembled here. And today we have the great privilege of having a man of God come bring the word of the Lord to us. He's been a friend of Pastor Kenny's for decade after decade after decade. He's spoken into us before. He's brought the word to us. He's been in the same church for over four decades himself. That's faithfulness. Amen? And he, amen. Let's, let's thank God for that faithfulness. So I hope that you have your spiritual fork and knife out because you're about to get a really juicy piece of steak for you to chew up and eat and let God work in you. Let's welcome Pastor Don George as he comes to minister. Bless you. Thank you. Well, hello, happy people. Please be seated. It's great to see you this morning. Hello, Cathedral of Faith. Hello, San Jose. Hello, California. My goodness. This Texan is glad to be in California. I'm so delighted to spend some time with you. I've been abundantly blessed by this great church for many, many years. You know, you meet people from time to time who will ask you, what kind of church is Cathedral of Faith? Uh, I have a stock answer when they ask me that question. Oh, people know what's a Baptist church. They, they know about a Methodist church or an Episcopal church or a Catholic church, but Cathedral of Faith, what kind of church is Cathedral of Faith? Well, I tell them, if they ask me, it's a Jesus church. It's all about Jesus. Uh, well, well, why is it a Jesus church? Uh, because he's there every time I go there. He said he would be there when two or three are met together in his name. I tell the young guys that I work with in Texas that if it's not a Jesus church, it ought not to be anything. If it's not a song about Jesus, it ought not to be sung. If it's not a sermon about Jesus, it ought not to be preached. If it's not a testimony about Jesus, it ought not to be given. Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This has been a phenomenal weekend of celebrating the presence of Jesus Christ. I've known and loved the Foreman family for many, many years. Pastor Kenny Foreman has been uh, my dear and special friend for the past 54 years. I heard about Kenny Foreman before I ever had the privilege of meeting him. He was a young evangelist coming out of Louisiana. I was a young evangelist coming out of the state of Texas. And everywhere I went, uh, my young evangelist friends were talking to me about Kenny Foreman. They would say, you've got to meet this preaching dude from Louisiana. You've got to meet Kenny Foreman. He, he, he would say, you know, he, he is a, a robust, red-hot, Holy Ghost and fire revival peace, uh, preaching piece of machinery. And he'll, uh, he's driving out uh, uh, demons and doubt uh, in every town he goes into. You ought to meet Kenny Foreman. And a young evangelist would say, if you want to have a revival, do it like Foreman. 
And the young pastors were saying, if you want to have a revival, get foreman. And a lot of people did, and a lot of people were so glad they did. And then I continued to hear about the ministry of Kenny Foreman and his wife, Shirley, as I would preach from year to year at the Oakland Revival Tabernacle for Shirley's mother and father. The late Dr. Cecil J. Lowry and his dear wife, Rose, were special friends of mine, and every time I would go to that great downtown revival center, the Oakland Revival Tabernacle in downtown Oakland, Dr. Lowry and Miss Rose would tell me about their daughter, Shirley, who was married to this hairy-legged preacher named Kenny Foreman. And they would say to me, you got to meet him. And so I told the Lord, I need to meet this man. But it was, uh, it was about 10 years later that I first had the privilege of meeting Kenny and Shirley Foreman. It was in Kansas City just before they packed their bags and headed for San Jose. And God did a divine connection between my wife and me and Kenny and Shirley Foreman, and we've been forever friends for the past 54 years. And uh, sometimes I get a little bit upset when I begin to think that once again, Kenny Foreman is ahead of me. He got home before I did. Can I get a witness? Yeah, he got home. Uh, he, he ain't lost. And he's not dead. He's home. Come on, somebody, I'm talking to you. Kenny is home. His body was in a weakened condition. But the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, one person in Job chapter 14, verse 14, asked God, if, if a man die, will he live again? And Paul answered that question clearly. In 2 Corinthians 5.28, when he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, you know, there's no holding pattern between earth and glory. There's, there's no detour. There's uh, no recess. There's no delay. There is nothing to slow down the process between earth and heaven. One minute, Kenny Foreman was struggling to breathe. His weakened cardiovascular system and his weakened lungs had a hard time doing their job. And he was struggling to breathe the foul, polluted atmosphere of this damaged planet. But in one split second of time, his lungs took a deep breath of the rarefied atmosphere of that celestial city whose builder and maker is God. And come on, somebody, I'm talking to you. Can I get a witness? He's home. He's with the Lord. He is where we want to be. Not that I want you to take me out today, but I want to be there. He's already climbed the mountain. He's already crossed the river. We're still swimming. We're still climbing. We'll get there by the grace of God. I love this church. There's something about the cathedral of faith that excites my spirit. I love the fact that Pastor Kenny Foreman had the rare intelligence and the rare spiritual guidance 
to know when to begin handing over the responsibilities to next generation leadership. Some preachers wait too long. Some preachers never get around to doing it. And a church, church takes a tailspin. But Kenny Foreman knew that the time had come for him to hand the responsibilities and so insightfully and strategically he did that. It was done in such a way that most of the people didn't even know that a change was happening. But he handed off the duties. God didn't tell Kenny Foreman to step back or to step out. God told him, step over. Just move over and make room for next generation leadership. And here came that young apostle, Ken Foreman Jr., with an anointing from God to preach the word and to stir up the body of Christ. And he has become known as a very mature and thorough and highly anointed Bible expositor that's bringing faith alive in the hearts of God's people right here at the Cathedral of Faith. And in his little brother, Kurt, what a, what a servant of God, an incredible young man of business acumen, and a team that God has put together of young men and young women here at the cathedral that work together with Ken Jr. and Kurt and their families. <clears throat> and so I get excited when I come to this place and I see the handiwork of God. God bless you, Cathedral of Faith. God bless you and God give you strength and grace and we know by the faith of God that your finest years are ahead of you if Jesus tarries. Now, if the trump of God sounds today and we get home this afternoon, well, I'll meet you at the marriage supper of the Lamb tonight where there is no night. But in the meantime, we're going to work till Jesus comes and until he calls us home. So grateful that I've had the privilege to be with Men of God like Harold Woodson, a great evangelist from Tampa, Florida, who got started here and at other places when he was just a teenage boy, and has continued to bless people down through the years. And I love to be in the house when Sister Lily Knowles is singing. I've said for years that Lily Knowles is the best friend that a gospel song ever had. Can I get a witness? Yeah, she is. I mean, the girl can sing. And she told you how old she is. I am not about to tell you how old I am. That's all right for her. It's a woman's prerogative. But I will tell you that I was born in 1900, and it's none of your business. So uh, that's all the information you're getting from me about my birth. Amen. Lily will be in Texas singing for us in just a few days at Calvary Church. And if you're ever in Dallas, come on over to Calvary. We're right by the DFW International Air Airport. Got the airport behind us, and we've got George Bush Freeway in front of us. It don't get no better than that, I mean. <laughs> and so be blessed. Be blessed. The title of my talk today is Jesus, Our Majestic Mediator. You'll find the scripture text 
In 2 Timothy chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says there is one God. That's that's what the, the Word said. God's Word said there's one God. Paul's writing to young Timothy, his his, uh, mentoree, he's mentoring young Timothy. And he writes him to say, there is one God, not two, not three, one. So we know that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. That doesn't mean there's three gods. Because all three, Father, Son, and Spirit, are wrapped up in one deity, one being. And uh, there are distinct uh, responsibilities for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we understand that we ourselves are triune beings. You are body, soul, and spirit. Uh, You are a spirit. You borrow a body. Kenny Foreman borrowed a body for 88 years. He didn't need his body when he left here. Uh, But the body served him well. Someday the body will be reunited with the spirit. But in the meantime, we're spirit beings. We borrow a body. We acquire a soul. A soul becomes uh, who we are and what we are and dictates what we do and uh, how we go and how we roll. That's what uh, a soul does. So we're triune beings. God is one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God's the righteous judge. And uh, Jesus Christ is the high priest of our confession. And he is the great mediator between God and men. There's only one great mediator. There's only one who could ever qualify to be an effective mediator between righteous God and sinful men. His name is Jesus, just one mediator, just one God. Uh, You've got, uh, what I'm trying to tell you is that you have representation at the throne of God. Uh, You must know by now that you are not perfect. Can I get a witness? Come on, somebody. Uh, Don't act all perfect on me. Uh, Because... uh, You know, I know that the people who stand on this stage regularly tell you that this is a place where nobody's perfect. So ain't nobody perfect here, but some people in some churches think they're perfect. That's nauseating to me. (laughs) But they think they're perfect. My, my. I mean, they ought to be ashamed. They're a pitiful sight going around thinking they're perfect with all the problems they've got. You know, you freely admit it, you're not perfect. So since you're not perfect and I'm not perfect, we need representation at the throne because the enemy will remind you of your imperfections. Satan will come to you and he will bring guilt and condemnation upon you. The Holy Spirit convicts and draws us to Christ. Satan condemns and takes us from Christ. But when he begins to condemn you, you need to serve notice on the devil. He needs to bug out and get lost. And you need to tell him, I have representation at the throne. Because I have a mediator. 
And the devil may tell you, I'll remind God of everything you did. You know that dirty deed you did last week that you haven't forgot? The devil keeps reminding you of it. If you ever think of it again, it's not God, it's the devil that's bringing it to you. And when the devil begins to remind you of that weakness and, and, and that, uh, that uh, mistake that you made and you haven't told anybody about it, you think you've covered it up, you haven't told your spouse, you haven't told your kids, you haven't told your preacher, you haven't told your best friend, but you know you made a big mistake and the devil keeps reminding you of it and you need to serve notice on the devil. I don't need you bugging me and I don't need you reminding me of what I did. And here's what I like to tell the devil. I like to say to the devil, I have representation at the throne of God because I have acquired a young Jewish lawyer to represent me at the throne and his name is Jesus Christ the son of the living God come on somebody and give God a hand clap in this place you have representation at the throne of the living God no wonder Paul could write to young Timothy and say there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You see, man separated himself from God when by his unbelief he broke God's law. Adam and Eve sinned and their sin became a huge gulf between righteous God and these two sinners. And they need representation. They need somebody to bridge the gulf. A mediator is good in, uh, in a lawsuit, a, a uh, secular lawsuit in this country, just about any time. You'll save a lot of money in a lawsuit whether or not you're the plaintiff or the defendant. You'll save money if you can find an effective mediator who can get the case solved before it ever goes to the jury. And that's what a mediator does. A mediator sits down in a room and the plaintiff and the defendant are both in the room. And the mediator, being a person of rare skills and, and marvelous abilities, begins to talk about the case. He's impartial. Uh, he is uh, impartial to the plaintiff. He's impartial to the defendant. But he wants to bring peace. And so a mediator can say, well, could you accept this? Well, could you accept this? Would you be aware of this? Is this something you don't know? Is this something you would like to know? Can I help you with this? Uh, will you look at it from this point of view? And so the mediator can say to the judge, uh, Your Honor, sir, we have uh, reached a settlement. And it can save you, whether you're the plaintiff or the defendant, a lot of money. It can save the courts a lot of time. And before the case ever gets to the jury, it's saved. It's solved by the mediator. We need a mediator at the throne. That's Jesus Christ. Because this huge gulf of unbelief caused by our carnal sin nature, this huge gulf of unbelief separates us from God himself. And Jesus is our mediator. Now, to be a, an effective mediator, there are certain credentials that a person must hold. There are certain abilities that Jesus must possess. 
if he's going to mediate successfully on our behalf at the throne. Number one, he must be the equal between both parties. The equal of both the plaintiff and the defendant. He must be the equal who stands before God as God's equal. And man as man's equal. How can one be such a person or such an entity to be as high as mighty God, to be as low as sinful man? Who but Jesus could bring the two of them together and meet in the middle and solve the case? Jesus Christ. He's always, he's always been the equal of God the Father. He's always been with God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He was there before time began. He was with the Father when the world was spoken into existence. He was with the Father when God planted every star in the far reaches of outer space and numbered them all and called every one of them by name. He was with the Father when God created man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his lungs the very breath of life. He was with the Father from before the beginning. He's always had an equality with God, with the Father. That's why the Bible said in John chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So who's the Word? Jesus. Who's the living word? Jesus. The living word has always been with the Father. He says, I was uh, always there. Uh, there, there uh, before the world began, Jesus was at the Father's side. No wonder the writer of the Proverbs says that Jesus was always with the Father as one brought up with him. And he says, I was daily his delight. But my delights were with the sons of men. And my delights were in the inhabitable part of God's earth. So Jesus says, though I was with the Father, as one brought up with him, I wasn't delighting in the Father's uh, place. Uh, I was delighting in the Father's creation. That's talking about you. Come on, somebody. Talking about you and me. I was delighting in the Father's creation. I was delighting in the inhabitable part of God's earth. No wonder Jesus Christ volunteered for the mission of being a mediator. No wonder he volunteered for the mission of being a savior. You know, I, I like the song that we sometimes sing, and I've sung it myself, and with due respect to the people who sing it and the people who wrote it, there was no search that was made through heaven to find a savior. Because there has always been a Savior. Jesus was always volunteering for the mission. Nobody had to take a gun and go looking for somebody. Nobody had to go turning over every rock in the desert to find a Savior. There was no search made. Jesus Christ was with the Father as one brought up with him. And he says, my delights were with the sons of men. And Jesus Christ was saying to the devil, you've got something I want and I die to get it. And that's what the devil said it's going to cost you. You. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you your death upon the cross. Jesus said, that's a price that I'm only too willing to pay. 
He was the equal of God. But simultaneously, he was the equal of man. He had to be. How could it be God's equal and man's equal? Because he became a man. He was born as a baby. Uh, who, who can a baby threaten? Threatened old King Herod, didn't he? Yeah. Call me a taxi. He thought the baby was going to overthrow his kingdom. Uh, can I get a witness? If you get scared of a baby, you've got a major problem. And so, Jesus came as a baby, not threatening, not intimidating, just loving, just cooing, and just slobbering and giggling and hugging a little baby. Ah. He became a man. He walked in shoe leather. He got thirsty. When he sat upon the cross, I thirst. He got hungry uh, when he was out there in the desert for 40 days and nights without food. And the devil said, why don't you make the rocks become bread? You could have something to eat. Jesus said, no, I won't be doing that. Uh, he felt what man felt. He was a man of compassion. Compassion is a Latin word that comes, it's a, it's a, that come, is a, is a word that comes from two Latin words, meaning suffer with. Compassion, the compassion of Jesus tells you a lot about Jesus. When the Bible says that Jesus had compassion upon somebody, it meant he suffered with that person. He, he didn't just feel sorry for somebody who's sick. He didn't just, uh, you know, have a little bit of pity on somebody who was uh, going through the toughest trial of their life. He hurt with them. He suffered with them. He suffered with the blind man and healed him. He suffered with the woman caught in the act of adultery. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He suffered with the leprous men. He suffered with the man with the withered hand. He suffered with that cripple at the side of the pool of Bethesda. He suffered with that dying thief upon the cross and said, today you will be with me in paradise. I've got a word for you. He suffers with you. He feels your pain. He feels your hurt. He feels your heartache. Oh. Uh, come on, somebody. I said, he suffers with you. He hurts with you. He weeps through your tears. He bleeds through your wounds. He hurts when you hurt. And here's something you need to know about Jesus. He's trustworthy. Ah. Can I get a witness? He's worthy of your confidence. He has integrity. He's like Kenny Foreman, a man of impeccable integrity. But he also is optimistic, like Kenny Foreman, who was incorrigibly optimistic and taught me a lot about optimism. But Jesus, he hurts when you hurt. And you can tell him anything. 
You can go into your secret place of prayer and you and Jesus Christ and you can begin to tell him the secrets of your heart. You can lay bare your soul. You can open the curtain and let him look deep inside as if he were not able to do already. But you can tell him all about it and you can give him all of the information. You haven't told your spouse about it. You haven't told your kids about it. You haven't told your preacher about it. You haven't told your fellow church members about it. It's a big black ugly secret it's a big dark horrible mistake that you made but you can tell it to Jesus and tell it to Jesus alone and he won't tell anybody no 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 he won't grab for a smartphone and go on Facebook and spread your problem all over the county and the country he won't gossip your problem all through the neighborhood no because he's trustworthy now give him a hand clap of praise in this house oh hallelujah Hallelujah. I bless the name of Jesus. I said he's the equal of both parties. He's God's equal, but he's man's equal. He's your equal. He knows how you feel. An effective mediator must also understand both sides of the case. The case in question is the problem of man's sin. God's righteousness. The righteousness of God demands that sin be punished. The holiness of God demands that sin be dealt with in a way that will leave no doubt. So, Jesus understands both sides of the case. From God's side and from man's side. We know he agreed with the Father in everything the Father did. And he understood God's side of the case when God drove Adam and Eve from the garden because of their unbelief. Uh, we know he understood God's side of the case when God sent the flood after 40 days of rain and said, I'm going to start all over again. Jesus understood. When huge balls of God's fiery wrath fell out of heaven and consumed the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus understood God's side of the case. And when God has dealt with you, he understands. But... He doesn't understand God's side without understanding your side. He knows what you're going through. And he knows that he's already taken care of it. Glory be to God. He's already been to the cross. He's already appeared before the Father. And when the enemy has come in like a flood... Or when the enemy has come in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And so he understands both sides of the case. Jesus knows all about your sorrows. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. 
He's the equal of both parties. He understands both sides of the case. Number three, he must have the ability to solve the case if he's going to be an effective mediator. He has the ability because he took issue with the devil over the devil's treatment of you. He took issue with him, and the devil said, you'll have to go to Calvary. He said, I'll go. And so before the foundation of the earth was slain, uh, was laid, he was already slain. He was the slain, smitten, sacrificed son of God. 700 years before his birth, Isaiah wrote, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Isaiah 53, verse 1, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised of men and rejected of men. Yet we esteem him as stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. He paid the price. He paid the price. He became, he became able to solve your case. Had Jesus said to the Father, no, I don't think I'll be going to the cross. But that's not what he said. He said, I'd rather not go. But because it's your will, I'm going. And so he never turned back. He never stepped aside. It's true. He could have called 10,000 angels and they could have delivered him. He could have been set free. Every Roman soldier and every religious foe in Israel could have been smashed and ripped apart in tiny bits and pieces. But Jesus said, oh, no. No, I'll go to Calvary. I'll pay the price. I'll go to Golgotha. I'll take the spear in my side. I'll take the thorns upon my brow. I'll undergo. I'll experience. I'll go through the flogging in Antonio's palace. I'll walk the Via Dolorosa with a cross upon my back. I'll get down from that cross and I'll be buried in a tomb. I'll do it all because I will pay the price for man's redemption. His blood. His blood at Calvary gave him the ability to solve the case. But number four, as I hurry to the finish line, number four, He must also have the ability to bring the case to a happy conclusion so that everybody's happy. God and man, they're both happy. The plaintiff and the defendant, they're both happy. And only Jesus could do that. He did it by going after Calvary into the devil's own territory. about to get my preach on. My, my, my. I got four minutes to wrap this thing. I'm going to get there. I promise you. He went. Come on. He went to the devil's own home turf. 
He went to the devil's own territory. And it was like the heavyweight fight of the centuries. Jesus stood in the middle of the ring and the devil danced in his direction. It was a three-round fight. It was over in round number three. The devil got in his licks, and he thought he had won the fight. But that fight was far from being finished. Jesus Christ was still alive and well. And in the third and final round of the fight, Jesus Christ struck a crushing blow against the powers of darkness. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And what happened? Uh, you're clapping on your time. I want you to know that. Uh, when he struck a crushing blow against the powers of darkness, coming all over him, Satan fell like fire, like a mass of crumpled ashes in the middle of the ring. And I think uh, the Holy Ghost was there to count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You are out. Come on, somebody. Out. Not cold. Knocked out. The champion arose. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. Now what are you going to do about him? You going to let him be your mediator? It's up to you. You don't have to join this church. Be good if you did. You don't have to be, you know, anointed with holy oil. Be good if you were anointed with oil once in a while. But there's a lot of things you don't have to do. But you have to believe. Because the gulf that separates you from God is unbelief. It's not your sin. It's not your adultery. It's not your thievery. It's not your lying tongue. It's your unbelief. You get your belief settled, everything else will fall into place. And all you've got to do is say, yeah, I trust him. I believe in him. I receive him. So I wonder if you would receive him now. I'll tell you. I like that song Audrey Meyer wrote. I don't think she ever wrote a bad one, but this is one of the good ones that she wrote. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why? Won't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him? How about it, folks? Well, time after time he will open the door and now he's doing it and he's waiting again just like he's waited before to see if you're willing 
to open your door. Oh, how he wants to come in. Will you let him come in? Let him come into your heart. It's so simple. It's a no-brainer. You just say yes. Yeah, come in, Jesus. Yeah, I believe. I mean, this is not a big deal. You know, salvation is an inside job. It's not what happens to you on the outside. It's what happens in here. So do it. Do it right now. And pray this prayer with me. Everybody in the house can pray it. Everybody young and old, rich or poor, big or small, you can pray this prayer with me. Let's pray it out loud. Say, Dear God, I come in the name of Jesus. I confess my sin to you. I receive you as my Savior. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a born-again child of God. You're my Savior. You're my mediator. Jesus, you're my heavenly Father. I belong to you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm saved. Amen, amen. Now give him a good hand clap. Give him a hand clap of praise right now. Hallelujah. I want to invite you to stand with me. Let's take a moment to say thank you to the man of God, for the word of God. Hallelujah. I don't know you, Tommy. I, I, think, I think we all just need a moment to rejoice in the Lord, to clap our hands, to give him praise, to dance on our feet for God's faithfulness. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, that is something you can, you can build your life on that. That's something you can count on. That's the confidence you have going from this place. That's the strength that can flow through you. You have a mediator who is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He suffers with you, and he's there on your behalf. Hallelujah. May that word be strong within us.